On today's episode of the High Impact Man podcast, you're going to meet a man by the name of Bill Morrow. Uh, he's not an F3 guy yet, but uh, we're going to poke and prod him until he gets a shovel flag planted up in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. But Bill's going to share just a, a great story of just growing up, being around athletics, um, being involved in coaching for a lot of years. And uh, he currently serves as a like a regional director for the Fellowship of Christian Christian Athletes, and uh, he he just has so much to to talk about, and he just really ties together the uh, the purpose of F three, but rolls it right into the aspects of being a coach in athletics, and uh, just powerful stuff that he's going to share. He's going to give you a ton of great quotes, so have a listen. Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. What you're hearing from the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. All right, here we go with another episode of the world-famous High Impact Man podcast. Listened to by people all around our city. <laughs> world-famous might be a bit of a stretch, but it's world-known. World-known, there you go. Yeah, so It has been listened to across the world. Yeah, and yeah, for those of you who don't know, yeah, we're, <laughs> people in other countries have listened to us. We don't know why, but they have. And if you are from another country and you're listening to us, thank you so much. Uh, anyway... Uh, my name is Nevin Gorky. I host uh, the High Impact Man podcast. I'm known as D-Fib in the gloom by my F3 brothers. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Troy Klinger, otherwise known as Dial-Up. You know him. You love him. Uh, <laughs> so, Dial-Up, um, I was listening to the Art of Manliness podcast. All right. Yesterday. Okay. I had to travel down to Pottsville and back to see my mom, but... Um, listening to that and there was a guy on there who did a, a lot of research on because he was impressed with what happened with a relative of his after going to toastmasters 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 have you heard of toastmasters isn't i thought like a toastmaster isn't that like an appliance for making toast <laughs> isn't that a toastmaster uh, uh, that's may- all i know maybe i don't know no toastmasters are uh it's kind of like an f3 sort of thing. I don't know exactly how they're organized, but I think their lack of organization is like like our lack of organization, like a starfish organization. Oh. So it's a non-for-profit. It doesn't, I don't know if it costs anything to do it. Maybe our guests will know, but I don't know if it costs anything to go there, but basically it's about rhetoric and it's learning how to publicly speak better and to uh, be more articulate in, in uh, presenting your views and, and in debates and arguments, that kind of thing. Hmm. And I thought maybe I should go there. To be a Toastmaster. Well, I don't want to, I don't not be a Toastmaster, but we, you know, we talk yeah. on the podcast and maybe I can become better at this. Toastmasters? I go to Toastmasters. So is it like Toastmasters school? No, it's kind of, it's like a, a voluntary, I don't know if it's weekly or monthly uh, kind of meeting you go to. And there's somebody there that kind of knows what they're doing, but, but basically <laughs> it's your, your, uh, the group helps you. So you're given like a, like a, an assignment. All right. Next week, you're going to give us a 15 minute speech uh, a persuasive speech pick, pick a topic or you know things like that and then they they uh, critique you and give you feedback so is this like forensics for adults uh, maybe maybe uh i know forensics and i don't know how many people out there know that. forensics to me is like you know cutting up a dead body and figuring out what happened <laughs> but um forensics is a, is, a that thing. Just, is that a local thing maybe it's a local thing i don't probably not because they compete at right. least statewide so yeah. anyway forensics is like debate clubs and you know, all that other stuff I, they probably do other things but anyway 
uh, it's about rhetoric. And rhetoric used to be taught in our schools until about the 80s, I think, something like that. It came with a classical education. And believe it or not, it started in ancient Greece, according to the, the podcast I listened to. Um, Greek, when Greece sort of created democracy, right after that, they, they focused on rhetoric because now you have to win the argument kind of thing. And they felt, felt it was really important in a lot of ways in your personal development. Maybe okay. we could do it together. Lesson learned for today. Yeah, but I, you know, I Googled it, and the closest one is like Harrisburg. So I, as far as I know, as far as I could tell when I searched today. But anyway. That would be a big commitment. All you listeners out there, let us know if we need to learn to speak better. Go to Toastmasters. Send D, send D Fib and dial up to Toastmasters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our guest today, enough of that nonsense, uh, is Bill Morrow. Uh, you guys in F3 land will realize that he does not have an F3 name because we have not persuaded him. We, we have not gone to Toastmasters, so we haven't been articulate enough and persuasive enough <laughs> to get Bill to an F3 workout yet. Uh, but he is a high-impact man. Uh, basically, he's, he's doing campus ministry uh, here at Bucknell Campus. And, and some other things, but you're going to hear his story because he really is a high impact man. He was an athlete, still is an athlete. We're all athletes, right? We, we don't stop being athletes. We're just not as yeah. good, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Maybe you're we're as good. In maybe our, you are, but I'm not. We're just as good in our minds. In our minds, but, uh, right. Yeah, in our minds. Glory days. But, um, but Bill's here uh, because uh, we got to, to, we heard about him and, uh, and dial up, uh, went and met him and he said, man, we got to have this guy on the podcast. So Bill, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here tonight. Yeah, no problem. Tell us, Bill, I just, you know, it, we're guys, we don't care. We could say stay at our age. How old are you? Almost 60 years old. Almost six. I'm almost 60, but I'm 56. So do you got me beat? <laughs> uh, by quite a bit. Yeah, a few months away from 60. Oh, a few months away from 60. So huh. in F3 land, if you're 50 to 59, that's respect. Okay, what's after though? When you're 60 Your to death? 69, it's respect, respect. Okay. So just add a respect for every decade to get over 50. Yeah. R squared. Our man dial up here turns... The respect category in two days. That's right. Perfect. Oh, baby. Down. I got the beat down planned. Oh, yeah. And he, he, he decided the queue a long time ago, right? Yeah. He, he picked a queue for yeah, as soon as his I set up birthday. The, it's the benefits of being the guy that sets up the queue schedules. Right. <laughs> when I make it available, I can snag whatever spots I want. Yeah, absolutely. So. so we were talking a little bit before we went on the air, and Bill has listened to a couple podcasts. He's done his homework. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he knows the two questions I ask everybody at the end. <laughs> I do actually. <laughs> All right, and he brought he brought some notes. So uh, this is uh, none of this is scripted, as you probably could tell by uh, how professional we are. But anyway, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to know Bill a little bit better. So Bill, tell us right now, like tell us where do you live? Where are you from? Sure. Currently, I live in uh, Lewisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, prior we've lived there for about ten years. Prior to that, lived outside of Syracuse, New York, for about 20, 25 years. And uh, but my roots. Kind of a mutt. Lived in upstate New York for a while. Uh, moved to Danville, mm-hmm. uh, right where we are when I was 16. And I called this home for about five years before moving on. Yeah. So you're, you're an Ironman. Exactly. Through and through. Graduated right. an Ironman, right? Graduated an Ironman. All right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Graduated an Ironman. And so you're married. How many kids you got? Yeah. I'm married to uh, my wife, Kristen. Been married about 35 years. And I have uh, two daughters and a son-in-law. Oh, very nice. Very nice. How old are your daughters? Good question. 31 Uh-oh. and 28. Oh, sorry. I put him on the spot there. Good job, yeah. though. Good job. He got it. At least we think he's right. Say it with, you know, with confidence. That way no one will know that you don't know. It's actually 32 and 28, but anyway. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Two daughters. That must be interesting because I know um, as uh, my firstborn was uh, was a, 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 my daughter, mm-hmm. and then I had a son after that, but uh, I ended up being my daughter's coach. Uh, as she came through the soccer sort mm-hmm. of thing that everybody does. Um, and our listeners who listen to us know that I've told that before. But anyway, uh, 
not having a boy, uh, now you got your daughters to, you know, and who knows if they're going to go in athletic because as guys, you know, you're an athlete and stuff, you know, so how'd that go? Um, that's a great question, man. You're asking a lot of good ones. Holds my daughter. And I see <laughs> pathway into sports, but no, it, you know, it's interesting. My pathway into coaching or back into coaching was, uh, like many men, you know, my daughter's in kindergarten. Um, they need quality men and women to get on the field to mm-hmm. coach and, um, teach the game of soccer. I knew enough to be dangerous from having played it a little bit in high school. And uh, so started coaching, found out that, you know, I had a passion for that. My daughter kind of aged out, lost her interest in soccer. And um, right about that time transitioned into coaching football, which I was much more familiar with. Mm -hmm. And uh, this past year, I think this past year was my 26th season or so of coaching football at some level. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, I want to learn more a little bit uh, about that as we go. But uh, let's start from the beginning. So tell us uh, what it was like, uh, where you grew up, family life, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I grew up the son of a coach. My father was a football coach, track coach, very successful. Uh, and we grew up outside of West Point, New York, uh-huh. in the lower Hudson Valley. And um, unfortunately, my junior year, my parents separated. And so I moved with my mother to Danville. She took a job at Geisinger. I followed and um, was at Danville High School for three semesters and found Danville to be just in, incredibly uh, accepting of just kind of a lost kid, you know, coming out of New York, no father, and, um, you know, quickly gravitated right back into sports. I'd played sports in New York State. Yeah. Um, but coming down here, got involved with the football team, wrestled a little bit, found out very quickly I was just as bad in wrestling in Pennsylvania as I was in New York, <laughs> and then uh, jumped into track, and then by my senior year just focused on football in the fall, track in the spring, but again, you know, as the, as the coaches that were very formative in my life, and so I think later on as I started to um, realize that, you know, I had a passion for coaching, you know, that I could turn this into more than just coaching um, for the win and, and just, you know, probably do it for much more than the scoreboard. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah and I, uh, I think that the coaches that have an impact on us, that's, that's what they were doing, right? Oh, very much. I mean, you know, again, you think about, for most of us, I mean, again, at my age, I can't tell you who my English teacher was, right? Um, but I can tell you who all my coaches were. Yeah, you know, just because if nothing else, the men and women spent so much time with us, and were very, very formative. And then uh, again, I don't think my coaches were as intentional as maybe some coaches are today. But you know, just providing guidance. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, the big adage was um, the reason we justified spending all this money on sports is that you know sports were supposed to build character. And I'm not always so sure if. My coaches built our character, but they sure revealed it. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we, we were able to convey uh, anger at times and frustration mm. and a lot of things, uh, different emotions that they weren't always the best at capturing and redirecting into a positive way, yeah. like I see coaches doing today. Um, but on the flip side is we certainly learned a lot of moral virtues. Yes. You know, we learned about commitment, hard work, dedication. Um, we were laughing about that at a, actually at my father's funeral a few months ago. You know, we used to just run hills all the time and we never really figured out what that hill taught us other than the fact that we hated hills. Um, And it brought the team together, you know, because we ended up just being sometimes so frustrated with our coaches, you know, it was kind of an us against them, but it brought the team and it created a family where maybe a family didn't exist prior to the season. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of not to continue to push F3, but I'm going to continue to push F3. But anyway, uh, sort of the uh, principles behind why F3 works. Uh, You get guys together doing hard things together. And the second F is fellowship. And so um, you could speak to this. It'd be very interesting to hear your point of view on this uh, when we get to your your ministry. But um, there's 
supposedly, according to the statistics and stuff, there's like this epidemic of male loneliness, right? Don't have close friends, that kind of thing. Uh, so F3 gets guys together to work out, but we are, one, of the, one of the principles is it has to be outside. Mm-hmm. And the workouts are almost always made difficult because who wants to wake up early and get out of bed earlier than they would and not have something worthwhile doing like a hard workout? But, the, but it's for every man. So any, any guy of any fitness level could come because you just modify what you're doing. But doing something hard, especially, you know, in a, you know not, to, not to downplay the, the easier weather states, but, you know, when we're up here in what I call the land of the ice and snow, we're not the coldest by any means. There's guys in the Dakotas, and I think there's one in Alaska now, F3 group in Alaska. But, um, but when it's snowing or it's zero degrees and it's raining and it's 31 or 33 yeah. degrees, you know, doing things hard really bring, bonds guys together, right? Because we're encouraging and supporting each other. So that's what you just described. And that's what happens, uh, you know, at F3, because otherwise it's really hard to get that as a guy as you, when you get older. Oh, without a doubt. And, and so I think there's there's two or three groups of men, but one, let's say, if you look at, at men that were athletes in their day, so to speak, and, um, you know, they want to go back to that. So, you know, it's not so much the win that was like their finest moment or their greatest memory, yeah. but if you, you talk to most guys and they can tell you about a game or two, but usually what they start talking about are the practices or the fun that they had or the bus rides, right. but also to the hard practices. You know, anybody that wrestled for, you know, Kanaski remembers, you know, him putting ice cream, you know, snow cones, snowballs on top of the uh, thermostat, you know, just to drive the heat up in the oh, wrestling room. Humidity, yeah. The heat, you yeah. know, jacking the heat up. And, you All know, right. after you spent, oh, you know, two hours in a, in a 90 degree room, you know, you feel like you really have accomplished something. And I think that longing to do something great and great can be measured different ways, but that longing to do something greater to, you know, I, I remember the quote that I put in my yearbook was uh, something to the effect that, you know, only those who attempt to go too far know how they can, how far they can possibly go or something like that. Right. You know, that idea of doing something great is still embedded within us. Yeah. Um, but then you also have a lot of men that, you know, for whatever reason did not participate maybe in athletics in their younger days. Yeah. But again, I just think the way God has wired all men, it's, it's to do something beyond themselves. Yeah. I mean, we are wired for greatness in some way. We're certainly wired for challenge. I mean, we were designed originally for what to provide and protect. Mm-hmm. So we've got this in us. And so whether you're the behind the middle school, you know, at Danville cranking out a workout at 530 when it's, you know, 33 degrees and raining. I think at the end of the day, you get in your car and you say, wow, I just did something special. Yeah. And then if you have a crappy day at work, that's easy. Yeah. You know, because of what you just accomplished. And then more than anything, when you start accomplishing that with other men and you get the synergy and just the, again, we're, we're made for community. I mean, that's just, again, how I think we were wired. Mm-hmm. But when you do something hard, you do it with others. Um, and you also do it with purpose. You know, I think one of the things, at least from what I know of F3, at the end of the day, you're not just out there grunting and sweating for the sake of grunting and sweating. You know, you're doing that to become a better man for your family, a better man. You know, so whatever God calls you to do, you're more able to serve him. Um, but just to be ready for what comes next. Yeah. And, and a lot of men, I think, you know, just, man, get rid of the remote and, and take on a challenge. Let's yeah. go. Man, you, you- how was he not doing F3? I don't know. You just, he's, you ready just, to, he's ready to launch a region, man. preach a sermon about <laughs> F3 that's better than most F3 guys can do. Time to plant a shovel flag, brother. Yeah. So, you know, holy yeah. cow. So a lot of great stuff you said there. One of the things that just struck a chord with me, because I thought of this as, as I'm recovering from back surgery, I can't do the beatdowns, but I could walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and I, and I, lived, I started to kind of, quote unquote, run sort of kind of mm-hmm. lately, not far. But anyway, if my wife listens to it, I'm going to be in trouble. But anyway, because um, she thinks I'm overdoing it already. But I, I, I said this thing at the workout. I just came to you and I posted it on uh, our, our 
Facebook page. And I said, you don't know your limits until you get there, which you said. Exactly. That's what you just said. You, yeah. you don't know unless you're challenging yourself, right? Those challenges. Dial up. Do you have, um, we've talked about this before, but you know, what beatdowns do you remember? Oh, the, the, the crazy tough ones. Yeah. Uh, like, like this weekend, you know, made her, made her throughout the, uh, the wheel of wheel misfortune, of, the wheel of misfortune, you know, which is a classic <laughs> from the iron packs days. And yeah, had I known it, I wouldn't have done, you know, a real heavy uh, upper body beat down on Friday, which which right. upped the ante just a little bit because yeah. I had pounded the boys Friday morning at Horsepower Friday, and then Mater turns around and does the wheel of misfortune. It's like, yeah. oh boy, as soon as, as soon as I realized what he was doing, I'm like, this is really going to suck. But uh, it was good, you know. At the end, it's like, man, that was that was a good one. But yeah, there's there's a there's a ton of them out there, you know. Whether the weather was just absolutely miserable that just made you dig to a different level. Um, or whether it was just that hard that you, that you pushed yourself mm-hmm. to another level that, that you normally wouldn't go to. Um, those, those are the special ones. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So Bill, the, the wheel of misfortune comes from a workout that's, it starts in like the beginning of September, right? Yeah. August, September, end of August, beginning of, of September. So yeah, anyway, this is, one of the groups of F3 started this, I don't know how many years ago now, but they, they put out a workout to do at the beginning of each week. And you could register. It doesn't cost any money, but you sign up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at some point during the week, you do the workout. You can do it multiple times, but at some point during the week, you do the workout. And then you register your time or your reps, depending on what you're doing. And it's called the Iron Packs Challenge. And then you could see where you rank in the nation, well, the world now. Wow. Against yeah. other guys. And um, the uh, this was one of the workouts from the past where you start at, we have a we have a shovel flag we plant at the AO and we you know when we where we're working out we start from the flag and cinder blocks we use cinder blocks so you exercise there then you go out to it's like spokes on the wheel cones set I don't know how many how far apart but you got to carry it over your head and anyway and you uh, get to run four hundred meters to recover yeah between, and then, then you go right back into <laughs> between it. circuits everybody yeah. always like I never looked forward to running right <laughs> but I did and I ran just a little bit slower to give myself a little more time yeah to I recover, beat you right? remember that lap I beat yeah you? I was I was hauling I was. You're trying to catch me. I know you were. Yeah, I was, I, by the way, folks, I was about more than a half a lap ahead of him. You were, you were close to getting Toastmastered. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you can't catch me, dial up. And he, yeah, well, anyway, yeah. I knew that he couldn't catch me. He was me. half a lap ahead to start. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the old guy with back surgery, you couldn't catch him. That's I don't right. know. It's all good. <laughs> Next time. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's, that's yeah, you just described what we do there, right? And we we're talking about uh, the coaches that had an impact on you, mm-hmm. uh, the, the ones that care. Sure. Right? Uh, and it's, it's, it's a lot, if you want to be a good coach, I mean, there's, there's guys you could probably think of easily that probably wouldn't be described as a, a relational or a transformational coach, uh, more of a transactional coach. Who's like, you better win for me. I mean, Bobby Knight comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I had one of those in high school and I, and I, I love the guy and he's one of my favorite coaches, but successful, right? I mean, yeah. they, if you go by wins and losses, Yep. You know? But I'm sure there are players that play for Bobby Knight who give him a lot of credit for help, you know, being you know, helping them through things. But, um, but surely, if you want to make an impact outside of sports, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we talk about transformational coaches. You know, those are ones that coach, and and their measure of success or where they're trying to go is to transform their athletes. Yeah, you know, the changes in the athlete. We're, we're competing to see it for the athlete's good, whereas a transactional coach, you know, by definition, you know, if you pre- me, I'm speaking now as a coach, you perform well, then I will give you playing time. You perform well, I will give you praise. If you don't perform well, I will give you disgust or I will shame you. Right. You know, it's very transactional, that relationship. But I think the biggest thing when we talk about transactional versus transformational coaching is recognizing 
and even in the last 10 years, how inherently different athletes are today. Mm. And so the transactional model, um, although it will still at least create wins on the scoreboard, um, oftentimes as a coach, you may end up coaching your shadow. There's just very, very few kids mm -hmm. that will put up with that style of coaching. And there's very, very few parents that will put up with that style of coaching. Yeah. I mean, there's many, many good men and women that are transactional coaches. Um, man, they're tough as nails and they may uh, chew kids up and to some degree spit them out that are just gone. They just get eliminated right now because parents complain about them. Yeah. Um, should they be gone? That's a different discussion. Mm. You know, but if you want the most out of the most number of athletes today, you know, transformational coaching, which is basically capturing the heart and the mind of your athletes is, is really the direction that most coaches are going these days. Mm. And, and again, if we're looking to um, build character in our athletes, if that's one of our high goals from athletics, it's a lot easier to build the character from a transformational standpoint than one from transactional that oftentimes created around fear. Right. Um, there's a Bible verse that was uh, given to me uh, probably a decade or two ago that really kind of shaped how I've been coaching the last decade or so. And it's real simple. You know, the, the Bible says that, you know, perfect love casts out fear. And um, so if, for example, in, in my case, if my athletes, um, if I establish a love relationship, an appropriate love relationship with my athletes and they're fearless, how much better are they going to compete? than if they're afraid of disappointing me or if they're right. so much worried about playing time that they just lock up on every shot or with every play. Yeah. And so I, I just think as coaches, you know, the quicker we can communicate to our athletes why we're coaching, the fact that we love them, who they are as a person, has nothing to do with their athletic ability. The more successful they're going to be on the pitch or on the field or on the court, wherever we, you know, wherever we're coaching them up. Mm -hmm. Ah, that's a great point, man. So we didn't say what you coach. You coach football? Yeah, so, oh boy, back in my professional days, I worked as a professional geologist for about maybe 25, 30 years, helped run a business, and along the way, though, I was able to shape my schedule in the fall so that I was able to, you know, leave work at 2.33, uh, coach, usually a lot of times go back to work at 6.37 um, and get my hours in, but, but I was able to coach football for many years in New York State. Mm -hmm. When I first moved to Lewisburg, one of the reasons we chose Lewisburg specifically is to coach at Bucknell. Uh, coached there for 12 months, a full you know recruiting cycle and coaching cycle, and then uh, dropped back to high school and junior high, which mat much which matches much better the current profession which I'm in now. Now I work um, for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes as an area director, and there's no way I could fulfill those roles mm -hmm. and um, and uh, coach more than than say high school or junior high football. Right, as an assistant coach. Correct. Yeah, Correct. and you. Um you mentioned being a professional geologist. I wanted to get to that because that's I, I got to learn more about that. So you, you got out of Danville. Where'd you go to college? I started at Washington and Lee University down okay. Lexington, Virginia. Played football down there for a couple of years. Had a career-ending injury and uh, just decided I needed a change. I just needed to kind of reset my identity. Um, while I was at WNL, my faith walk grew tremendously. Really went from, um, gosh, almost zero to having a, putting my full faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, walking with him, mm -hmm. um, but just felt I needed to get out of that environment. I just missed football so much and transferred to Bucknell. Went there for two years, graduated from Bucknell, uh, worked for a couple of years, went on up into New York State, got a master's uh, from one of the small state schools up there, Oneana, and then lived in upstate New York for about 20, 25 years. What was your degree in? Uh, geology. That and was picked, it. Yeah, yep. and then picked okay. up a master's in geology and, and used that a couple different ways, but ended up the last 20 years professionally managing an environmental drilling company, 
we would go into different closed factories or refineries and figure out kind of where the pollution is, you know, mm. wh- where the soil's been impacted, if it's groundwater impacted, and then uh, put a plan together to try to clean it up. Wow, it's fascinating. Yeah, it was good work. I mean, we worked at, yeah. from Syracuse, we worked out at the uh, Cherokee plant across the river. We worked at TRW, mm. a number of the closed facilities up and down the valley here, a lot of Agway stations. Um, but it was great work. But in my mind, you know, I just had this gnawing to do something different. And every year, you know, as I got closer to 55, I mean, that just seemed like a logical reason for some reason. But as I got closer to 55, it's like, I, I just got to do something different. You know, I, I don't want to just end my life as a geologist. And after doing a lot of volunteer work with FCA, a lot of coaching, you know, being around just great men and women, I thought, you know, I got to do something different. And right about that time, um, we were living in, by the time we were living in Lewisburg, I heard a sermon actually down at Higher Hope Church we attend occasionally. And uh, Mark Gittens down there was preaching out of the book of Jonah. And it was real simple. He just read it. and it, But it struck me. It talked about how the men that were on the top of the boat were praying to their gods, little G, mm-hmm. throwing all their belongings over the boat, trying to keep it for, from sinking. But meanwhile, Jonah was sound asleep below decks. And, you know, I just thought, dang it, you know, here I am asleep in a sense, when especially young men, which which I just have a real passion for, so many young men are just above deck, just just literally throwing their lives away, yeah. you know, pursuing the wrong guys, not pursuing the God that created them, that has a plan for them, but, you know, pursuing what society says is success. success. And I thought, I just got to get topside. Mm. And so uh, about a year or two later, I quit my job, started working for FCA. And, um, you know, it's just been a great fit. That's, a, that, that's great, man. Yeah. What, what a, you know, just scripture. God talked to you right through his oh, word. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, convicted, man. There's no... When he talks, you listen. I mean, you yeah. better you, you better do it, or else you end up in the belly of a big fish. Uh, exactly. No, no, that's, that's true. That's a, I I will add that to my testimony. <laughs> so, were you always a Christian? Yeah. So, growing up, it was great. When I moved to Danville, when I was sixteen, you know, we went to Grove Presbyterian Church, and yeah. there, there was great, great people there, and um, really looked forward to going. Um, I moved down here again, like I said, without my father. And so some of the men in the church are guys like uh, Bobby Marks and others, you know, they would just grab a hold of me on Sunday mm. and just invest in me. And it might only have been five, 10, 15 minutes, but they really cared for me. And that really started this, this faith journey where, you know what? Um, I want to be like them. And where were they on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. you know, in church? And I thought there was a connection there. And then when I went to Washington and Lee, they talked about this ministry called the fellowship of Christian athletes. And I thought, what a great fit. You know, I, I love athletics and it seemed like the more that I got involved with my faith, which was very juvenile, kind of JV at the time, but it seemed like I had success. And so quite honestly, it was very transactional. Mm. It was almost like, God, I'll go to church on Sunday if you help me play on Saturday. Yeah. And uh, that kind of false theology worked for a little bit. But it was through a camp that was run by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that the gospel message, the good news was really presented to me in a very clear and unequivocal way. And I remember the pastor just saying, you know, in, in the book of Revelations, it talks about because you're neither hot nor cold, because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out. Yeah. And I thought that's the last thing I want to be a spit <laughs> out. And, uh, and then conversely, another thing that he said is, you know, I stand at the door and knock. And I recognized the fact that Jesus Christ wanted a relationship with me and w- no better place to give it my life to him than at a camp run by FCA. Yeah. And so I uh, decided to follow Jesus Christ at that moment. I was 19 years old. And just uh, been not perfect by any means, but just chasing after Jesus ever since. Awesome. Yeah, that's 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 great, man. What a, that's a great testimony. 
and the work that's being done by by organizations like FCA. Yeah, FCA yeah. was uh, is was that were they called Athletes in Action once? So Athletes in Action is another sports ministry, a great sports okay, ministry, but one. that's an offshoot of Campus Crusade for Christ. Right. Whereas FCA has been freestanding, been around since 1956. And, um, you know, where a lot of people think of FCA, they think of, you know, college ministry or, um, but actually FCA works with a lot of the high schools, you know, locally we work at Salem's Grove High School, uh, Shiklimi, Lewisburg. We've got a huddle at Columbia County Christian School. And, um, and you know, the ministry is growing. We've got teachers and, and coaches and athletes saying, you know, when are you coming to our school? Share, share a little bit about the model that you're, that you're establishing for the high schools with the coaches and the huddles and the, the mentors that you've got in place. Yeah, yeah. FCA is a little bit different in that, you know, what we try to do is leverage the influence of a coach. You know, right now in America, probably the two most powerful words in America are coach says. Yeah. And so when the coach says, hey, kid, you need to be doing this or you need to be doing that, most kids sit up and listen. And so one of the things that we try to do is come alongside, again, as it's appropriate, given the federal access laws, what we try to do is come along as a ministry, come alongside coaches for them to use their voice, you know, and are they challenging their athletes in the right way? You know, here's just a small example, but, you know, as coaches, we get to know our athletes well, we get to know what makes them tick, what's important to them. You know, you have an athlete that let's say misses a week of practice in the summer Mm -hmm. because he's on a missions trip. So as a Christian coach, what do I do? Do I penalize him? Do I shame him? Do I somehow belittle him for missing a week of, you know, summer workouts, which are supposed to be non-mandatory? Or do I say, hey, that's what men do. You know, they go to Haiti, they pour themselves into others, they take their time, they take their resources, you know, they get beyond themselves, they use their empathy. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are some of the things that we try to do is come alongside coaches to use their leverage to reach their athletes. But then the real win is to try to set up a fellowship group or what we call a huddle. So, for example, at Sealings Grove at Lewisburg, you know, we have a huddle that meets in school space. We're not a club, but we meet in school space after school hours, just like the scouts do or AYSO. And, um, and in those huddles, coaches meet with their athletes. You know, they open up the scriptures, they pray with their athletes, and they just share life together. And um, it's just a very, very powerful way to continue to influence your athletes, but in a way that really seeks out the eternal win, which is a relationship with God. And obviously that's voluntary. Does that have to be started by a student? If you meet as a club during school hours, mm-hmm. it needs to be student-initiated and student-led. You know, a coach can be there in an advisement role, just like the French club advisor sure. would be present. Um, schools are going to want that, and they should be there. Um, so you can really run your ministry two ways. You can either run in the school day as part of the school, or you can run it outside of school. Shikalimi, uh, for example, their FCA huddle is part of It's a club. It meets during school time. So that's student-initiated, student-led, whereas other schools choose not to go with that model. And you can meet anywhere. You don't have to meet on the school property, right? Oh, exactly. We'll yeah. meet at parks, playgrounds. You know, you meet in the Miller Center. You know, wherever you want. Um, we meet at Bucknell sometimes. You know, we'll bring high school athletes there. So you, you just, you know, the biggest thing with FCA is what we want to do is take the gospel to coaches and athletes where they are and to where they're most comfortable. Now, do you, do you contact the schools or do you wait for a coach to reach out to you? I and mean, how does that work? Uh, both. You know, we've, we've had success with that. And I'm speaking beyond, you know, the upper Susquehanna Valley. But um, but in some, uh, I had a, a superintendent call me up in October locally and say, you know, when do we get our huddle? Yeah. You know, he approached us and had a teacher that was very interested, but they just wanted to make sure that they were doing it appropriately given the federal access laws. Yeah. Which means you cannot exclude a, a, a club just because it's faith-based. It'd be great to get it at Danville. That would be great. That'd be, that'd be as a... You know, former Ironman, that, that, yeah. that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And again, it can take all different shapes, sizes. Um, you know, it can be a few kids. It can be built around one team. It can be built around many teams. 
Is it generally a coach that's leading it? It could be a coach or just someone that has some standing with that athletic community. It can be a dad. It can be a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, we Again, it's it's broad-based. We, could be, I can could be an F3 guy. Could be an F3 guy. It could be an F3 guy. There you go. There's your next. Uh, that'll be your fourth F, by the way. <laughs> for FCA. <laughs> All right. Faith yeah. family. Fitness, fellowship, faith, and FCA. that in too. <laughs> maybe, maybe we could come to kind of some kind of deal here with, with Bill. I don't know. I, I've, I've said I'd like him to, well, a lot of the guys are going to listen to it, obviously, through our podcast, but uh, I'd, I'd love to get him to a beat down. Beat down, remember? Yes. Uh, those, I remember, are, those are the Saturday morning things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, it'd be great to be back to start, on the junior and high then track. Get him, and get him to come to cafeteria. Because I think yeah, uh, a lot of the guys yeah. that do cafeteria, it'd be a great, great place for you. Oh, to, yeah. To this share. kind of conversation is just, you know, right up our alley. Yeah. I mean, we had, uh, we had a really good cafeteria this past Saturday. So cafeteria is... It could be. It could mean a lot of things. It's uh, breakfast after the workout. Let's be honest. For us, it is. Yeah, but with, with other some, places, they'll like <laughs> at the workout site. Soon they're done. Somebody has coffee. Guys okay. hang hang out at the site. Now, when it's you know winter time, we don't really do that. But there's Perkins right nearby, so we go. Perfect. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we had, yeah, we had a really good cafeteria. Yeah, discussions on various uh, leadership topics from Q Source, which is the the tool that we use in F three. Correct. For leadership discussions. Yeah, because F three is the mission is to plant grown. Sp- and serve small workout groups for men for the invigoration of male community leadership. So that's the mission. It's awesome. And we're trying to get, uh, you know, guys to be better leaders, just like you described earlier. That's why I said, you know, you could be an evangelist for F3. Yeah. Um, well, the thing, I guess, you know, where the synergy is from groups like ourselves is, you know, many groups are starving for male leadership. Yeah. And, um, you know, what I would see, you know, an organization like F3 and, and you're doing it is, you know, creating future leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, encouraging men to have the courage to step out, involve themselves in the lives of young men. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there is so many men in our community that don't do that. And conversely, there's so many young men that need strong male figures. I mean, you look at academic success, number one indicator, predictor of a- academic success in school is the presence of a consistent presence of a strong male figure. Yep. yep. Uh, for men, anyway. I can't speak to that for women. I'm not right. sure. Yeah. But if you want a boy to succeed, get a guy in his life in a consistent way. Yeah, and that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you. So, um, I try to be concise with setting this up. Uh, years ago, 2011, I started a, a Saturday morning group here through our church, First Baptist Church of Danville, and we just met somewhere for breakfast because there's got to be food, right? So, um, <laughs> Especially if you're Baptist. Right. So, uh, what I what happened was my wife took my daughter to a Revolve tour, which was a, for teenage girls and moms. <laughs> My wife came home all fired up and said, you got to start this for boys. So anyway, that made me start thinking about things. And, and it led me to a book written by Robert Lewis called Raising a Modern Day Night. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he, he said something that I really didn't quite think about very much is how do you, in our culture today, how does a boy know when he becomes a man? We don't really have a, uh, an agreed upon moment you know, uh, some kind of, you know, succession of things you have to achieve or a ceremony that Mm -hmm. highlights that, like killing your first lion or bar mitzvah or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so what he did is he put together a bunch of guys who had sons and um, they started meeting together and trying to do that for their boys. So that's that's how it started anyway. Dollop was uh, one of those original members. And then it just grew into just a men's group in general. But uh, that's when the first time I sort of stumbled upon boy, we really don't have that. We don't really do that. And I think one of the, there's a few places in our society where guys can get that. One of it is sports. Mm -hmm. 
And it isn't exactly that, but it's at least, you know, you're going through something hard. You got a coach mm -hmm. and uh, you're kind of doing those things in the military, maybe mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But we don't really have something like that. So I want to get your perspective on that as both a coach and a ministry leader. Uh, how, how, I mean, do you see that? And, you know, what, what impact does that have and what, how can we affect that? Definitely at many levels. So again, here's a, a small example. Um, Pick your sport. It could be any sport. Let's say cross country, football, soccer. Take a fall sport, mm -hmm. and you're on August first. You show up for practice, and it's hot, and your coach is right on you, and you're doing these incredible workouts. And at the end of the practice, you walk off the field, and all you think is, "Man, what did I do wrong?" Because mm -hmm. my buddy's just spent the whole day at the pool, and I'm out here killing myself. Especially if, if you know, I'm looking at maybe not being a starter. You know, I'm wondering if this is for me anyway because I didn't work out all summer. I'm I'm not in very good shape, but but capture this thought for a minute. You've got a let's say 30 guys in a cross country workout. I'm looking at you, Evan, and you guys kill it. It's it's a crazy workout. It's one of the hardest workouts that you can do. What if the coach walked up to each of those men, those young men, those boys, and used that as a moment where they can be boys to men? Literally, you know what? You did something that's incredible. You did something that 90% of the young men in this community would never even dream of doing. And not only that, you did it successful. And so if I want to find not just young men, but I want to find men of this community, I'm going to come to this place on this day when it's 100 degrees out, and I'm going to look for each one of you. And, and I guess what I'm saying is, you know, as men, we need to call out young men and, and literally tell them some of the great things that they've done. Yeah, call out the, these these moments of uh, of great accomplishment. Like I was talking about the mission strip, you know. Hey, the, the average kid would stay home. Yeah, you chose up to give instead of you going to the beach for a week. You know, you went to Puerto Rico and rebuild houses. Mm. How cool is that? You're a man. That's right. Those are the things that that. And so I think what we do as men, we just need to call out these kind of behaviors in a in a more um, systematic way. Mm -hmm. And then also too, I think we need to set ourselves up for that. Um, for example, a friend of mine, his son went to West Point, and what we did is we gathered the, the men of the community together. There's about nine or ten of us, the guys that were had a, an impact on this young man as he grew up. But we just all put our hands on him and just prayed for him. Mm -hmm. And his dad was was bawling in the corner because he knew these nine guys were pouring into this his boy who was now going to become, in a sense, a man. But as soon as he hit the West Point gates, yeah. Um, but are we doing that? You know, we don't do baccalaureate anymore. You know, what if we took the men of our community and night before graduation, we read on the riot act. Hey, you're a man. Now we're, we're going to hold you to a different standard because you're now a, a graduate of this school mm -hmm. and we have these expectations, but we are so darn proud of you. We're here for you. Yeah, we think absolutely. And uh, that's kind of what we did. Um, we had different kind of ceremonies for our boys just to mm -hmm. affirm them, right. do the kind of things you talked about. When my son was graduating from high school, I had a sword ceremony mm -hmm. and, uh, this is, I, I'm only saying this so that guys out there might have some idea and maybe, maybe they could do something like this. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I had my son uh, tell me guys that were really uh, meaningful and had an impact in his life. And I reached out to those guys along with our men's group that were yep. doing this together. Yep. And, but I reached out to those guys and I said, I invited them to the men, to this sword ceremony. And it was formal. We got, you know, coats and ties and the whole mm -hmm. thing. And each guy wrote a letter to my son. Uh, which was read out loud by the man. And uh, and I had my f my father and my father-in-law there, his two grandfathers. And when they came up and stood with him, I presented him a real sword, mm -hmm. uh, which is engraved for him. 
And but I also handed him over my leather bound Bible that I used for years, my sword. Mm-hmm. And so now that's his, you know, so it's a family heirloom. I told him now this is the sword you're going to carry it. And so that was really meaningful for him. But I would say there is hardly any boys out there that are getting that kind of thing. I know but, guys are out there doing it. There are guys out there doing that, but, yeah. but man, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I gotta get off my soapbox dial up. Sorry. I think I'm going to say it, see what you think. I think this is an indictment on the church because why isn't the church doing this? And there are church, believe me, there's, I know there's churches doing it, but, but, but not enough. So well, likewise, mean, you know, the Bible says, you know, who fathers the fatherless, right? You know, half the, I mean, I'm thinking of my own case. I walked into a church. I had no dad. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until somebody reached over the pew and grabbed me by the shoulder and started holding me accountable. Right. Yeah. That, uh, that I kind of sat up and grew up. You know, there was a whole nother set of eyes I needed to please out there. But I, I mean, I love what you're saying. And, you know, again, men need a purpose. And so if my purpose at church was nothing more than come alongside this young man mm-hmm. who doesn't have a father, and it's to 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 look him in the eye and just tell him I'm proud of you, not because of what he did, just because of who he is, mm-hmm. and, and ask him about him. You know what what would that mean for that young man, or work mean for that mother who's who's doing her best? Yeah. Or maybe it would draw the man in his life back into his life when he sees somebody else taking that place. So I think you're you're hugely onto something. And again, if we want to, you know, create men for others, if we want to kind of reshape our culture and 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 you know, in a, in a sense. Um, we need to be doing things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you give training for the guys in FCA, like the coaches or parents that are leaders? Do, do they get training from you? Guys? Yeah, for sure. There's uh, what we do is take them through some training modules to make sure that they're comfortable leading small groups, um, you know, and uh, making sure that they're, um, they're comfortable with what FCA is all about. That's the first thing. Yeah. So you're not just thrown out there. Um, but if you are interested in volunteering with FCA um, through, uh, through this uh, podcast, definitely you can pick up, you know, my email address, or it's just simply my first initial B followed by my last name, M-O-R-R-O-W at FCA.org. And I'd be glad to connect you with the work we're doing here in the Valley, or if, you know, because this podcast is uh, regional and national, direct you to to some uh, other FCA groups that might be meeting in your home area. We've about 3,000 employees and we're in all 50 states at this point. Yeah, I, you know, dial up. I've said this before. You know that one of my one of my visions for for our F three group was to reach out to the boys in the community, yeah. especially the at risk boys. We haven't really done that, and for for a few reasons. But um, but this would be a great way to do it. it this is why I said we needed to have him on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were right as usual. You're finally yeah. seeing the light. Yeah, <laughs> right, you got to figure it out. Well, that was the right. first time I ever met the guy. <laughs> Oh, this is awesome. I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you have any questions be- before I ask any more questions? No, keep, uh, keep rolling. That's been right. a great uh, discussion. Yeah, I'll jump in if I got anything to to, to ask. But yeah, nailing it. Yeah, and Bill, good you're stuff. doing great, man. You don't have to go to Toastmasters because you're not doing the ums and the ahs at <laughs> That's all. Right. So this is really good. <laughs> That's as far as I know about public speaking. Don't do the ums and ahs. No ums and ahs. All right. You knows. Yeah. Where I grew up, it's the you knows. That's right, yeah. Kingston. <laughs> right. Um, so I got to ask you, you're dealing with uh, high school kids, mm-hmm. junior high kids. You're also dealing with college kids, right? That's correct. How, tell me how you're dealing with the, I guess over the last few years, the, the two things. One thing in general is I guess you call it the woke culture, culture mm-hmm. or whatever. And the other thing is uh, these uh, trans, um, 
transgender stuff, you know, where a guy could say he's a girl and go beat up on all the girls and that kind of thing. So have you faced any of that? And if, if so, you know, how have you dealt with it and how's it impacting things? I think, uh, that's a great question. I think because the FCA ministry is founded on the scriptures, that it becomes real simple. You just go back to the playbook. Right. Um, but on the flip side is you can't expect somebody to play by the playbook if they don't know the author of the playbook. Yeah. And so we're really a Christ first ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a non-denominational ministry. So, you know, when our work on campus is to lead athletes and coaches in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and, and growing is the, is the operative word we've got. It's funny, you know, we talk about Jonah. I asked a, a huddle a couple months ago. I said, give me, this was actually two years ago. I said, give me a, a good old Testament story that we can start out with. And they're real quiet as they oftentimes are. And finally one kid goes, uh, James. <laughs> like, oh boy, I wonder where this is going to go. And he goes, yeah. and the fish. He goes, yeah, that's oh. a good story. Let's talk about James and the fish. Like, well, how about Jonah and the fish? But anyway, right. so we, uh, we moved on from there. So, you know, basically you're taking athletes and coaches from where they are and just moving that needle. And so some of the issues you're talking about, for example, you know, gender identity, you know, the Bible takes care of that in of itself. But, but again, you know, you got to know the author of the book. You know, who is Jesus to you? I know what, what convicted me June 26, 1982 was when a pastor said, who do you say I am? Mm. And I, I didn't have a real good answer. I couldn't say the man upstairs. I mean, that's what my dad used to claim Jesus was. Yeah. You know, he had to be more than that. And so as you take people into a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you, know, you let the scriptures convict them on many of the hot button, you know, kind of social issues of the day. Um, as far as like the woke culture goes, you know, I, I think the Bible is very clear about the role of a, of a man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to provide and protect. And that can look very different ways. You know, providing means uh, maybe it's it's literally you're the one that stays home with your child, but you better provide and you better be there for him. You know, as far as protecting, you know, you always protect the least. It's not just protecting the women, mm-hmm. but, but it could just be, you know, just somebody that needs help. Yeah. You know, it could be your roommate. And so, um, you know, trying to drive home, you know, the, the fact that, you know, God has a calling on your life. And, you know, through these scriptures, you can find out what that calling is. And as you draw closer to him, it's going to become more and more clear. You know, obedience leads to clarity. Ooh, I like that. Write that down. Obedience leads to clarity. Obedience leads I'm gonna, to clarity. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this podcast again whenever it releases. You write a lot there's, of stuff there's down. There's been so many good quotes <laughs> uh, that we got to. I was talking to, to Uno last there. night, and uh, and he said, He's he's take I'm sorry Uno I, I, but anyway he's taking away some catchphrases from us so oh, maybe, maybe we'll get some more catchphrases all right <laughs> yeah. we'll get some more hey, have you have you been met with any like resistance um, you know Bucknell's mm-hmm. let's be honest you know pretty pretty liberal yeah uh, way edu- liberal. education center yeah I was trying to be nice ah, yeah. um, have have you faced like resistance at all when folks know what you're what you're sharing what you're what you're preaching uh, on campus yeah no I mean the campus chaplain. Um, we have to work through the chaplain's office. Uh, Kurt Nelson, he's done a great job giving us access to the community. And then you just work with great integrity. You know, for example, when, when we meet, we're unapologetic about what we're doing. This mm-hmm. is a meeting of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's not like you, you know, you, you kind of bait and switch. You know, when we bring speakers in, um, last year we had Don Beebe, you know, the yeah. six-time Super Bowl player. Right. I forgot he was there. That's yeah, right. Don came and spoke. But again, you're unapologetic what he's going to speak about. He spoke to, for example, to just the huddle. He, he spoke again about manhood. He spoke to the Bucknell football team, you know, about basically, you know, being champions, being champions for life. And so I, I think the, you know, the biggest thing where you get yourself in trouble in any situation, again, is that word integrity, you know, represent who you are, be unapologetic, 
And then, um, you know, at, at Bucknell, again, it's, you know, in, inclusive, inclusiveness works both ways. Yeah. You know, if we want to include, include some different population groups that have been underrepresented in the past, you, you know, Christianity, you got to include that. Mm-hmm. And to be blunt, traditional Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, is a minority on most of these campuses. Yeah. And so we've made some great working relationships um, through the Catholic Campus Ministry. And um, so we've got active ministry there. We've got a great group that meets at Lake Coming College. Um, wonderful volunteer, does a real nice job up there. We also have a huddle at Susquehanna University. Mm. And so we're making inroads on that campus. But I think, you know, from what I've seen, that 18 to 21, they, they're hungry for something. Yes. And the biggest thing is they're trying to figure out, okay, you know, is this the faith of my parents or is this my faith? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're making that transition. And having groups like, like FCA on campus, um, particularly for the athletic community, you know, where we're sensitive to their needs uh, and, and just the way we, we minister to them uh, allows them to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, thank you for that. That's, that's really well said. Um, the, the campuses, even back when I wanted to go on campus, there was a reason for it, right? Like you said, that 18, 21 year uh, age group, I think you're very vulnerable then. Yes. And now you're leaving the house and you're not under the direct, you know, vision, mm-hmm. uh, location of your parents right and then right. you got these teachers who i used to say i'm gonna get this wrong because i haven't thought about it in a while but you know we all have a, we all have a uh, inherent bent to do sinful things because they're fun right unless until they hurt us but uh but on campus they give you in, in many cases they give you the uh the justification for doing it because everything is relative right so there's no right. absolute truth and so not only you're getting you're getting taught that uh that you could do whatever you want. You can make up your own mind. And so, Oh boy, I guess I'll go to that party and I'll do mm-hmm. this and I'll do that and everything. So, so it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a spiritual battle, spiritual war zone. Yeah, no, I definitely. I mean, it's uh, what does the book of Ecclesiastes say? Everything's meaningless. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of your freshman year, you're just, this is crazy. There's gotta be something more to this. Right. But the other thing too is, you know, from an athletic standpoint, you know, what, what we can often play too is just having a champion lifestyle. You know, if you want to compete at a Susquehanna, you want to compete at a Lycoming, you know, you compete in college anywhere. You know, if you, if you live your life like the average show, you're, you're not going to survive. And so, um, and then the other thing too, though, is the inherent pressure that comes with being a college athlete. You know, for all your life, you've been described as a football player, as a runner, you know, as a, a soccer player, right. you know, and, and so, especially in, in the case of injury, um, who am I really? What, what am, is that who I am or is that what I do? And mm-hmm. so helping the athletes to make that transition away from, you know, the fact that, no, you're, you're not just a soccer player, but you're a child of God. And again, he has a plan for you. Sure. You know, the plan you're gifted, let's go play soccer. Let's make the most of that experience. But there's a big world out there that, that goes beyond that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is just a stepping stone to what's next. Yeah. Say that again. I live a champion's lifestyle. Lifestyle. That's another one. We'll get right that one down. Yeah. That's a big, <laughs> uh, uh, Dan Wernsberger, the wrestling coach at, uh, at Bucknell, um, does a wonderful job with his athletes over there, the wrestlers. And, you know, to be a college wrestler, you, you better have a champion lifestyle. Otherwise you're not going to make it. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I obviously don't know this, but watching sports, I love to watch sports, obviously. And seeing the athletes when they're interviewed mm-hmm. um, and free. Yeah. Obviously the athletes, the athletes that are interviewed, usually the division one athletes that are winning championships or whatever, you know, I'm wearing a Penn state wrestling shirt. You know, these guys that come off the mat after winning a national championship, a lot of these guys are giving glory to Jesus, giving glory to God. Sure. And if this year, the Penn State wrestlers, a few of them had, what was it, headbands? Headbands and T-shirts, I think. Yeah. I forget what it said, but something about Jesus. And, like, 
but not only that, but you hear the athletes talking, right? I mean, the NFL draft, we just had the NFL draft. They interviewed the, the first few guys chosen, right? The, in the first round, they interviewed, I didn't watch all of it because I, I got bored, but um, but almost all of them. Well, first I gave glory to God. And so I don't know if there's a movement among athletes because it seems like a large percentage of them that you they get a microphone stuck in front of their face are doing that. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think, you know, part of that, though, is, um, is you know, with it, within athletics, again, just the nature of it, the inherentness of it. I mean, think about it this way. Through athletics, you, you're in a locker room with, depends on the sport, soccer, maybe 25 guys, you know, football, 95 guys, but you live your life authentically, visibly. Mm-hmm. You share the ups and downs. I mean, there's just, there's something about that locker room experience that leads oftentimes to uh, uh, maybe a faith. and um, But, you know, for example, at, at Bucknell, they run a Jesus timeout after football practice on Tuesdays. You know, it's student run. One of the players asked the head coach if they could run that after practice. He's like, sure, as long as it's voluntary. But um, at the Jesus timeout a week ago Friday, there's probably 40, 45 guys, you know, at the end of a long practice. Mm-hmm. 45 guys want to stick around and hear from one of their peers or a guest speaker about Jesus. And again, that's at a secular school. That's out of about sixty-five athletes. Yeah. Wow, that's that's cool, man. Good things happening. There are good things out there. So you know, one of the reasons we have this podcast is to encourage and motivate, inspire the guys to be better leaders. But heck, you should just be inspired and motivated and encouraged to know that this stuff's going on out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen to the media; it's all doom and gloom. But yeah, don't watch that stuff. Happening. Listen to our podcast instead. Yeah, <laughs> I just uh, you know shout out to to Listen what to you're our doing. Podcast is dead. I like that. <laughs> Turn off the news. That's Tune right. into the That's High right. Impact Man podcast. <laughs> Who needs entertain, right. entertainment tonight? <laughs> we should go daily. <laughs> we should <laughs> anyway. No, uh, but no. I just I applaud what you're doing because um, you know when a, when an athlete leaves or a, a young man leaves a college environment again once again they're you know they're in a townhome in in. Danville, they're they're in med school. They're by themselves. They, what do I do? You know, right. how, how do I reshape this? How how do I make something of my life? And right. you know, the best life is the one that's shared. And when you have older men building into younger men, you know, with wisdom, wisdom is what knowledge applied. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys are smart, but they don't know how to apply what they've learned. Right. You know, but to have men like you in their ear telling them, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly about life, you know, their their trajectory is just going to be a lot different. And you don't have to learn through mistakes. No, I, 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 taught my, I told my kids, wisdom is not having to learn the hard way. Yeah, exactly. Unfor- unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. that's the best way we learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the way the lessons stick, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you talked about how the athletes have this, you know, what they go through kind of lends itself toward looking for something bigger. They, they've spent their life working hard at something, not always a team. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess, you know, there's individual sports, but still, you got teammates. Even in track, you have teammates. Yeah. Um, swimming, you still have teammates, but, uh, and you said earlier talking about sports, exposing character, like people say sports builds character. Uh, and I read uh, when I first started coaching soccer, I, I read, uh, everything Anson Dorrance put out. He's a North Carolina women's coach, mm-hmm. won like 28 national championships or whatever. And he said character or sports doesn't build character. It reveals it. But what I have come to believe is it does both. Yeah. I think, I think it, it reveals character, but then that's like, putting a mirror up and looking in it and say, well, what am I going to do about this? I don't like the way I reacted to that. If you have the right mindset and you have the right coach slash mentor that's or, or parent that's helping mm-hmm. you through that. And I think maybe that's what happens. You know, you do something challenging and hard together. You're serving something bigger than yourself because you're serving the team, mm-hmm. which is what F, the third F stands for in F3 of faith. It means believing in, in something bigger than yourself so that mm-hmm. we don't think we're the center of the universe and being a servant leader. But um, 
But I think that's maybe, and that's sort of what you talked about just now. I'm just saying it differently, but uh, you know, that's, I think that's the impact that we see. Oh, I, again, just applaud exactly what you said. You know, you think about character itself is what the sum of your virtues and you have moral virtues and you have physical virtues. Your physical virtues are what sports build automatically. Mm -hmm. Again, that, that idea of commitment. But again, if a coach isn't calling that out, right. All I know is it kind of sucks to be me because I'm out here during, you know, double sessions and my, my buddies are over at the pool, right. you know, so a coach needs to call out these virtues and put names to them. And then they really stick. That's on the, on the, on the physical side, but on the moral side, you know, like you use the word empathy, you're, how do you build empathy into your athletes? Mm. Um, teammate just got hurt, tears his ACL, heads up to Geisinger. Most teams in most instances, let's say if there's 20 athletes, maybe one or two will check in on that right. athlete. Yeah. But what about the other 18? You know, we just broke five minutes ago on the word family right. as the ambulance pulled away. Yeah. You know, if we're family, why aren't all 20 of us checking in on that? And so that's a good example of where, again, you know, coach before the season already, how am I going to, it's not if, I know those kind of situations are going to come up. How am I going to be prepared to handle that? And you know what? I'm going to call four parents. I'm going to say practice is going to run 20 minutes late. We're going to get in four cars and you can pick up your kid in front of the uh, emergency room at Geisinger because that's where practice is going to end because that's yeah. where families, you know, meet. Yeah. And, um, and that's where you go. But, but again, you know, we need to make sure that our coaches are trained to anticipate those situations and then, and then have a plan. Yeah. You know, because again, it's not if, it's when. Um, one of the things that we talked about with empathy with when I was coaching junior high football at Lewisburg, we knew we were going to roll a team bad. We were just very good that year and they were very bad. And guess what? It was, you know, 50 nothing or whatever. So then when you go across the field and you 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 shake the hand of the kid opposite you, you know, what, what are you really doing at that point? Most teams are saying, man, I'm glad I'm not on that team. <laughs> you know, they're belittling the other team yeah. through that experience. Right. But just think that week. If you talked about the word empathy, mm -hmm. maybe you brought somebody in to share a story so it wasn't always just from the coach, but but you 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 developed that virtue so that when you rolled the team on Thursday or Friday, whenever you played, you would shake hands looking these guys in the eyes with a whole different mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the beauty of sports. You know, when you can transcend, you know, what goes on the field and, and make it stick something in their personal life, because 30 years later, when they're walking up their buddy whose father just died. They're thinking, wow, you know, I learned something about that word empathy. Mm -hmm. In fact, coach told me that's what men do. They give hugs. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're, they're appropriate with their words. Um, you know, I had a chance to speak to the, the Bucknell wrestling team about maybe two months ago. And um, it was very poignant for me. It was two days after my father died. And that's exactly what we talked about. You know, Coach Warnsberger gave me the floor for a few minutes. But I, I wanted these college-age guys to know, how do you approach somebody who just suffered great loss? Yeah. In this case, my father. And, um, you know, the next day I go in the locker room and, you know, I got this big bag full of handwritten notes. Mm. You know, that's the way they chose to respond. I got 20, 25 handwritten notes yeah. from the team. Um, but that's what they heard from my message is, you know, don't just avoid somebody. Yeah. You know, how, allow them to process their loss in some way. And mm. the notes, I mean, I'll keep those forever. Yeah. That's awesome stuff. You could crush them, but do it. With empathy. <laughs> Help him up so you can do it That's again. That's what I heard. I don't know. <laughs> it is sports. But yeah, that's right. But you those know. Are, those, are, those are, those are, I mean, we've had that as a coach. You, you do struggle in those situations because it is, it's, it's hard coaching against those, in the, in those games where you just, you, you know, it's going to be just one-sided uh, and be a whooping. And uh, how do you, how do you beat them in a, Merciful way. Yeah, and right. I, I think it depends on the age group, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. If you're in college, 
you know, you're, you're going to put in your subs at a certain point, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's it's a lesson, a valuable lesson the other team can learn. So right. we don't want to take away from that lesson by being easy on them. True. <laughs> well, again, you know, I mean, quite honestly, you know, God calls us to give your, give us your best, you know. Yep. Yeah. And yep. so if I give you less than my best, in some ways I'm disrespecting you, Yeah. you know, as my opponent. But, but again, we, anybody that's competed for a period of time know, knows where that line is. Yeah. Um, and you just don't cross it. Yep. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know, we coach soccer, he and I, and uh, um, I didn't play soccer, but I coached it. But anyway, you know, we're beating, we had a, we had pretty good teams, and we beat, you know, we're, we're talking about young kids, and uh, up to high school age, I coached the high school team, but um, we didn't blow people out in high school so much, but but you get, a, you get a score that's, you know, you're up six nothing or whatever, and now you got a kid that hasn't scored a goal all year. What are you going to do, tell him not to shoot? You know, and his parents are there and, you know, he went, he scores a goal. It's going to be so unbelievable for him, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. So you just got to, but you're right. We got to hand it with, handle it respectfully at the end. Yeah. And then again, the opposing coaches hopefully see that, know that, you know, so it's six touches before he can shoot. Right. right. You know, instead of just yeah. you know, kicking the ball down to him and right to the goal. Right. Um, so there's ways that you can set that experience up. But I think what you're trying to do there, again, goes back to that word character Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're helping the least um, score to achieve. And uh, and again, isn't that what families do? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great, that's a great message, man. I, um, obviously, you know, if you're in for the right reasons, we're teaching life lessons, right? And uh, it took me early in my career, coaching career, I decided that's what I was going to do. And I didn't like, I didn't like the way I looked when I first started coaching. And I was keeping a journal at the time, and I wrote stuff in it. I won't share it, but um, I, I'll not be not because it's bad, but I just can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. But I said something like, "I'm never going to do that again. This is going to be. We're going to win and lose together as a team, and we're going to." You were a little focused on winning, would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was a little too focused on winning, and so uh, from then on, I, I dedicated that team to the Lord, and I was going to try to teach them lessons. So, um, you know, my mission statement for our team was striving for excellence in life and soccer. And so, you know, we tried to do that. So it's, it's pretty cool to, uh, to be able to have an impact on those kids' lives because, I mean, how many um, – we keep talking about boys, but you, you guys involve the ladies too, right? I mean, oh, very much. Both. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, how many of these kids are growing up in, in single-parent mm-hmm. homes? A lot. Yeah, and how many of them are getting the affirmation that they need from a man? Right, you right. Know? And that's, that's the opportunity for a coach. To, and you don't know. I mean, we don't always know. No, you don't, but, you know, but take the risk. Yeah, you know, you don't know, but I'd rather, you know, fail falling forward. Yeah, you know, right. be, being uh, again, you, you know, there's a, there's a level of appropriateness. But um, you know, last night I was in Weiss Markets and told a girl that I coached in track, you know, how proud I was of her. You know, she's getting ready to graduate, and and you could tell she. And then the next thing, of course, was you're coming to my senior night, right? Yeah. You know, she doesn't have a father here in this area. Yeah. And um, wow, yeah. I guess she does care. You know, yeah. so right. Senior night. I mean, how long does that take you? Go to the last twenty minutes of a track meet and yeah, you know, applaud for a young lady who doesn't have a father there. Yeah, yeah. you just you just don't don't always know the impact you're having right. for good or bad, but uh, hopefully for good. Yeah, and and what you're modeling. Right. And uh, I just ran into uh, a parent of a boy that I coached uh, a couple of days ago, just a couple of days ago, and he was telling me uh, his boy's in college now, mm-hmm. and uh, I coached him when he was what were they were like eight years old to 11 years old or something like that. So it was a while ago now, but, uh, you know, he's, I mean, he gave me just great fit, you know, really good feedback about what, what his son thought of his time and stuff like that. So, you know, that they're the kind of, you know, little bit of things you get back. That's like, Oh yeah, it was worth it. You know, some, 
you know, I don't know how many people hate me out there yet, but we'll, I haven't, no one's actually come out and told me that yet. So we'll see. I'm sure those, I wasn't perfect. You had a couple of those negative reviews on our podcast. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. Early on, we got some right. negative reviews. It's all good. <laughs> the good, the bad. We're trying. That's right. Trying. We'll learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Learn and grow. That's, the, that's the, the key, right? That's right. Learning and getting better. Um, all right. Do you have any other questions? Tyler? I don't think so. Are you going to go to the big two? I think so. He has an unfair advantage so. from most guests. He does. He, he does. does. I think yeah. he's got his answers written down there. I don't know. <laughs> got some papers there. And to think at the beginning, he was nervous about this. And he's like, oh, he's blown it out of the water. Hitting out of the park. Yeah. So, so you know, before I ask him the last two questions, do you have anything else that you would like uh, people to know out there? You know, stuff that we talked about or didn't talk about? No, just I think, no. Okay. I'll hold it right there. You're holding it for the last two. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first question is, uh, if you had to pick somebody, it doesn't matter. I, you know, you know, you know what's coming, but it doesn't matter if they're, it was like thousands of years ago they lived or now or whatever, whoever it was, who would you say would be your inspiration, your hero, that kind of thing. And you could pick more than one. People have asked me that before. Yeah. You could pick more than one if you have to. Yeah. I would say, um, just because my father passed just a few weeks ago, I would say my dad. Yeah. He was, uh, he was not a good guy for many years. But just the way he finished his life and then um, going to his funeral a few weeks back, um, he was, again, a coach. But hearing, uh, seeing guys that were in their 60s mm -hmm. uh, tell stories about how my father shaped their lives, got them into the colleges where they did, you know, and they're basically, you know, they're the men that they were uh, because of my dad. And then having women walk up to me and, and just tell me how much, you know, my, my father meant to them. So, I, you know, again, you always think about after they're gone, but I, I would love to spend more time with them. He, uh, he was full of great advice uh, in his later years, um, became a great man of faith, something we both shared. And um, so I would, I would say my father, mm -hmm. for sure. Good answer, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry about your loss, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but this, this is out there for posterity now. So yeah. you just celebrated your dad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so last question is, this is your chance to speak to the men of America. What is your message for the men of America? I would keep coming back to a theme that, you know, F3 hits so hard, and that's have a purpose. Um, I go back to when I was encouraged to get out of the boat. You know, I was thinking about it's kind of stupid, but, you know, most men, if you think about many, many men, you know, they come home from work after a long day. They might interact with their children and their wife a little bit, but what's the first thing they pick up? It's the remote. remote. remote yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so, you know, it sounds stupid and corny, but, you know, drop the remote and get out of the boat. You know, and, and I think about Peter when he first got out of the boat, you know, he literally was walking on water mm -hmm. and he looks over at these 11 guys in the boat and they're thinking, man, you know, Peter, why are you out there where it's unsafe? Right. And I can just imagine Peter thinking, man, why are you back in there where it's so safe? Uh -huh. You know, and, and man, I'm, I'm living the dream. I'm walking on water. And, and if you think about it in America, we oftentimes, when, when a man takes great risk, when they get out of the boat, what, what do the typical oftentimes society want, they want to see that person fail mm. because of the risk they're taking. Yeah. And, and instead of being one of those 11 that's trying to watch another man fail, you know, why not get out of the boat and join them? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at groups like F3 or maybe your local church or, you know, another organization, you know, maybe it's a fellowship of Christian athletes, but you know, you've been called and gifted. And as long as you got that remote in one hand, you're not going to hear either. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's young men out there that are crying for, for relationships. There's young women out there that need relationships. I had a woman literally crying in the Lewisburg parking lot at the end of football season last year. 
And I, I said, why are you crying? And she said, well, you know what? You know, my boy's son, his uh, father's dead, his grandpa's dead, and who's going to teach him how to change a tire? Oh, boy. And then she started crying more, and hopefully the men of America. And so, you know, my message is, you know, pick something easy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just, just get out and just start serving others. And maybe it's serving your own family in a more systematic way. But there's many great opportunities out there. And through that common purpose, um, boy, your, your life will go to a whole different uh, level, different trajectory than it is right now. Wow. Nice message, man. Uh, you find your purpose serving others, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, you can't walk on water unless you get out of the boat, right? Exactly. So give it a try. And, yeah. you know, like I heard a, a woman say one time, in a, it was actually a James Dobson broadcast. She said, hey, bury me as a wet walker. You know, she says, let, let the dry pants belong to somebody else. She <laughs> All goes, right. Bury me as a wet walker. <laughs> write that one down, too. So, good one. So that might be on my tombstone someday. Yeah. Yeah. He was a wet walker. <laughs> Woo, oh bury me as a wet walker. So you're in my, you're in my man, nan, nan cave right now yeah. or whatever, because the leader of, of F3 group is called the Nantan. So Dialip says this is my nan cave, so my man cave. But my wife just today says a wall out there. We're still doing this basement, but uh, she wants to know what sign I want to put up on the wall. Oh. Maybe that's a good one. There's Bury no, me as a wet walker. Uh, that, that, she won't yeah. like that, but I think you should just like cover the whole wall in quotes. Oh, there's a good idea. Yeah. Wow. See, dial up. That's. I'll talk to her about it. You'd be better. That's, you, that's so good. He's so good. Um, you know this whole FC FCA thing, guys. I mean, you know, it's just one ministry out there among many, but what an opportunity for guys who are serious about their fitness to get involved with. Yep. So all of you F3 guys out there, I know that this isn't a Christian organization, F3, but man, most of you guys are Christians. You want to make an impact on your community. This is a great way to do it. Uh, and on the young people in your community. Um, there's a lot of discussion in the F3 nation about what age we should allow people into our workouts. And there's no rules. There's no rules. So each region can make up their own decision on that stuff. But, uh, but this is one way, you know, outside the beatdowns, although you can invite them to beatdowns, but, uh, is to, to get involved with FCA, right, where they live. Sure, that's right. Right? Wow, what a, what a great opportunity. Um, dial up. I think we just spoke to another high-impact man. I told you we would. Yes, you did. <laughs> and you were right. All right, well, Bill, thank you so much for being here. This is great. You I haven't touched the charcuterie board, so when we sign off here, you know, dig in, brother. Eat Sounds good to me. Hey, take care, guys. Thank <laughs> you. All right, God bless you, man. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.